Hey, I'm Kamara Rose, and this is Everyday Changemakers, conversations with social change practitioners about the journey of personal transformation and social transformation. Sometimes we as trainers think of ourselves as experts and we just need to instill this expert ideas in this process and it's like magic and if they would just listen to us, it would just work perfectly. But the reality is the work of a midwife is really to help the person that you're coaching to tap into their own truth and their own power and their own experience so they can actually journey through it. This week, I'm talking with Christy Paschal. Christy was formerly the political director for Faith in Action, then a principal of movement building at Wellstone Action, and is now the national director of Win Justice, a groundbreaking coalition to win key elections in battleground states in 2018. Christy grew up with parents who she describes as being willing to take big risks for what they believed in. When I was in third grade, my parents decided to move us from a pretty small town in New Mexico to become missionaries in Indonesia. And I did not know where Indonesia was. So I literally went to school the next day to find on the globe where Indonesia was and to figure out how how it was that we were gonna go all the way across the world to a different place. In Indonesia, Christy experienced what it was like to be on the outside. Like I was the other person, right? Like I didn't know the language. I didn't know how, how it worked in schools in Indonesia. I wasn't used to the food. And so I think it's given me a lot of empathy and desire to connect with people who have also experienced or feel like they're on the outside and feel like very visible because they're different, but are also feel really invisible, like unseen and uncelebrated. In Indonesia, Christy also got an early education about both structural inequality and the power of community. New Mexico is one of the poorest states or continues to be one of the poorest states in the country. And my family comes from a really typical kind of working class family in New Mexico. But the level of poverty and hardship is much more extreme in Indonesia. And also, if you have ever traveled to Indonesia, and I hear this all the time when I have friends who go and visit, there's a tremendous sense of community and a prioritization of relationships and caring for people who are around you and hospitality that I was a part of. And I think I I hold those things with me today. As missionaries, Christy saw her parents as having a deep and generous love for people expressed through their relationships. But Christy wanted something more. My parents had some very close friends And like so many immigrant families, there were people in that family who were citizens, people in that family who were undocumented. And for me, it wasn't enough just to be in deep relationship. I was hungry for something that would change the experiences that this family had, that kept them from fully 
becoming part of American society, kept some of the family in the shadows. I was always asking why and wanting to change what I saw around me and felt like it wasn't enough to give it to God. Like I was called to do something and be a part of something to change it myself. These experiences from being an outsider herself, witnessing profound poverty, and loving people who didn't have the same rights as her, moved Christy toward a career as a community organizer, to find her own power and to help others realize how powerful they are. And for Christy, being a mother has been the power she calls on most in her work. One moment where I can just definitively say that I felt really powerful is when I was pregnant and just full of like hope and possibilities. I was really in touch with understanding how disappointed I was with the world that I was in and wanting to do everything that I could to imagine something different. And that was propelling me to overcome the other voices inside of me that said, you're not smart enough, you don't have the right skill set, you aren't like the right kind of leader. I was being compelled to find the resources inside myself to step into things that I didn't know how to do completely, but I felt compelled to be a part of. And I remember this one action that I was at a couple of months before I had my first son. We were embarking on a brand new campaign around education reform. Christy was organizing to change the school system in Denver, Colorado, a school system that she was strongly connected to. Her brother and her sister-in-law were both teachers. The action was being held at a school that three of her nieces went to. The superintendent and school board had showed up to stand before over 400 community members. And I felt certain that my son, Miles, when he was going to go to kindergarten, that we would have made a big difference in the way education worked in Colorado. And the reality was when I fast forward five, six years ahead, things had not changed very much. And in fact, maybe even some things had gotten worse. We haven't made the progress that I had hoped, that I believed was possible that day when we were having this amazing action. I realized that the way that we were organizing, it wasn't building the power that we needed to win. And that's honestly like what kind of propelled me to start to dabble a little bit with engaging voters. It was just frankly like, we don't have enough power to accomplish what we want. Through the community organizing network, Faith in Action, Christy eventually went on to pioneer in 2014, the largest nonpartisan, volunteer-driven, direct voter contact program in the United States, a multi-year campaign called Let My People Vote. Their strategy embraced what's known as integrated voter engagement, which means that instead of just engaging voters during election season, voters are engaged year-round to lead local policy work connected to the issues that matter most to their families. What I was being called into or my vision for 
voter engagement at the time was so much bigger than what I could do on my own. And I think that if your vision is only big enough for one person to accomplish or it's incremental, then only a few people will be invited in. But if it's a really huge idea and truly visionary and liberatory, then a lot of people are going to want to be a part of it. Hey, everyone. I'm taking a quick break here to tell you about our guest for the next episode of Everyday Changemakers, Art Reyes III the founder and executive director of We The People, an organization working to build multiracial, working-class alliances to contend for power across Michigan. You know, I remember in the sixth grade when my dad was on strike, being out on the picket line with him every day over the summer, and then like feeling what solidarity actually felt like and looked like and knowing that to a big corporation like individually we could be weak but collectively we could be incredibly strong we don't need a silver bullet we don't need a magic politician that comes in and saves us where the leaders we're waiting for listen to the next episode of everyday changemakers to hear how art's childhood in flint michigan and his family's proud history with the united auto workers union shapes his work to unite diverse families and communities across Michigan in a common cause to build a proactive vision for their future. Okay, back to the conversation. When I spoke to Christy, she had just taken the big leap of leaving her position as a principal of movement building for Wellstone Action even though she loved working there. I have like a passion for a body of work that if I stay in this somewhat safe space, that I won't be able to follow this vision that is on my heart right now. I don't think that there's a, there's a single person in this country, regardless of what kind of political tradition you come from or spiritual tradition, you name it, who doesn't sense that this is a serious moment for our country, right? Like this is a crossroads. I just feel compelled to try to situate myself in a place where I can follow this pathway. And it's hard to do that because it means I'm leaving an organization that has a pretty good salary and I know how to do this work. And I have three kids and a mortgage and some animals and a husband who's a state employee. So we have to work for our living. So I'm taking like a personal risk and I don't know completely where I'm going to land, but I just am trusting that in taking this leap, it's going to propel me to be in a space where I can like grow this vision that's starting to seed a little bit inside of me. We talked about what it takes to give birth to a new vision the practice of being a midwife to other people's leadership journeys, and Christie's big idea to build an 11 million person movement to radically change our democracy. I actually thought for a while I would love to become a doula because there's something very powerful about supporting a mother to go through that experience. There's a lot of connections between the birthing of an idea and organizing and what that's like in real life. 
that would be just a beautiful metaphor to unpack a little bit if you want to, how birth progresses and what's the parallel for people who (laughs) are not necessarily pregnant but are giving birth to something in their lives. (laughs) Okay, let's play jazz with it a little bit. (laughs) Uh, I mean, the first thing that I would just say in a real birth experience is that um, there's a lot of jokes between moms about writing a birth plan and how our birthing experience is never exactly like the plan that we write. At some point, when uh, you go into labor, there's a point of no return, and you are so in it that you can't turn back, and you really have to rely on the set of people that you have brought into the space to be with you. They become a lifeline to help guide you through that journey. Right. You can have as many plans and ideas about how things are going to go. And then the reality is always going to be different. And I think Mm -hmm. like that's just the truth, right? Like period. And I loved that you said there's a point of no return. You reach a point where the only way out is through. And Mm -hmm. having not gone through my birth myself, but it's (laughs) from my observation of movies or or (laughs) or other stuff, it seems like you have to not fight it. That's right. And and I guess it's why, when you asked me earlier, why is it that I felt very powerful when I was pregnant? It's because, especially giving birth when it's a natural childbirth, but I think it's true for for every birth, you've got to dig deep and find things that you didn't realize were inside of you. And when you go there, you'll find that you're more powerful than you believed that you were. And you had the strength to make it through. Hey, everyone. I'm taking a pause here to offer you a resource to reflect on your own journey. Christy just described what giving birth to a vision can look like, from taking the leap to leave a safe space, relying on your team to bring you through, and digging deep to find your power. So to support you in giving birth to your own vision, I developed a journaling guide called Midwife to Your Dreams, and you can find it for free at kamararose.com slash resources. The link is also in the show notes. Use the guide to help you reflect on the vision you may be called to give birth to, the safe spaces you may need to leave behind, the people you may need as lifelines, and the strength you already have within you. So go to kamararose.com slash resources to download the journaling guide and get moving on your vision. Okay, back to the conversation. As a leader working in communities for social justice, maybe you can talk a little bit about the ways that you practice that work with people. Right. And this would be, I guess, from the doula point of view. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like doula or midwives. Yeah. Exactly. This work. When you're working with people, like you said, to find that strength that they didn't know was there. Yeah. I think the first is to recognize. So let's let's take ourselves back into like the doula or midwife space. I had the privilege of being with my sister-in-law, giving birth to three of my nieces. That was an experience that while I had given birth, I couldn't take away the pain 
that she was experiencing. This was work that she had to do on her own. And I think that's a really important lesson when it comes to thinking about the work of organizing or working as a facilitator or working with groups, that I can offer some ideas and I can be curious and I can offer questions and I can work to suggest some different exercises, but it's really the work of the person doing it that they have to walk on that journey. Too often, I think the role of organizer and leader has been confused. Sometimes we as trainers think of ourselves as experts and we just need to instill this expert ideas in this process and it's like magic. And if they would just listen to us, it would just work perfectly. But the reality is the work of a midwife is really to help the person that you're coaching to tap into their own truth and their own power and their own experience so they can actually journey through it on their own. And thinking about from that process really changes the dynamic from expert to new person who knows nothing to really being like a, a true midwife um, right. and steward of the work. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you have an example, perhaps, of like a time where re- maybe you realized like, oh, here I am acting like the expert and I need to shift out of that role and move into the midwife role. Or maybe a time where what you've seen happen as a result when you're working with people and instead of this, here, just follow my way and do it as I suggest and everything will be great, to I'm here to help you give birth to something. You know, one thing that just comes to my mind that is true about my orientation now than the way I was kind of taught to be. Tomorrow, this might sound familiar to you, but I feel like I was taught to cut an issue and to decide whether or not it was winnable or not that that was like the most important way to decide on if this is an issue that we should pursue. And especially over the last year, I've caught myself because that was like a default for a long time. And I've caught myself almost saying that at points. And I think that actually asking that question if it's winnable is a pattern of white supremacy. And very often it meant that we were pursuing solutions that were solutions that might work for some people, but wouldn't work for everyone. And so one way that I'm trying to practice being a midwife of work is especially um, working with folks around strategic planning or power analysis, holding back a little bit and not pushing towards, is it winnable, but really like listening to what people are saying. Like, where do they have the energy and what do they believe will make the difference? What are the actions or tactics that they want to pursue that they feel like will escalate to create a new power dynamic? And I've just worked really hard. I can think of tons of examples where just doing my best to really like learn and listen and then find ways to connect people who are doing very interesting work together so that it's more organic and collective as opposed to being a person who's an expert in the space. Right. I I mean, I totally relate to what you're saying. It reminds me of, well, my first real campaign that I worked on 
which was around homicide and gun violence in Oakland. We had learned about these new models of basically building relationships between community and police and social services in order to interrupt those patterns. And the community leaders that I was working with were basically like, great, we've learned what this approach is and we can just start doing it. Like, why not? We're the community and we have relationships with social services and we have relationships with police. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no reason that we can't just begin the work. And it felt like the the model of organizing was about getting permission, right? Like yeah. that we needed the mayor's office to rubber stamp this strategy and say that is a legitimate thing and to like fund, quote, you know, yeah, experts or fund professionals to do it. And that that was the route that we should take. And it wasn't about people claiming that work themselves. Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted to. It felt like it's urgent and we need to do something now. And it's in, it's within our power because it was a approach that was completely based in relationships. Yeah. And yeah, the idea that, no, it's better that these elected officials and other people all like sign off on it and do all this stuff. And mm-hmm. it just wasted time. That's what it felt like. And, you know, ultimately, the city did sign off on it, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like that uh, that outcome could still have happened while people began the work themselves because they felt called to do it. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how I'm thinking about this. Yeah. Well, I guess um, moving then into what do you imagine is possible if – as an organizer and in the movement work that you're doing, there is this lens that you're bringing around midwifing and guiding people through their own journey instead of saying, this is what's winnable. This is the campaign, like get on the bus and let's Mm -hmm. get going. Well, I have this big idea that I'm really excited about. I don't know if you're familiar at all with Erica Chenoweth, but after studying nonviolent movements all around the world, she discovered nonviolent resistance is more powerful than violent resistance. And the second thing that she saw is that when three and a half percent of a population of a country are actually committed to sustained action or participation, that that's enough power to topple a brutal dictatorship. And that is true in Chile, Serbia, the Philippines, all over the world where she studied this. And uh, knowing that that is true, it gives me this tremendous amount of hope thinking about where we are in America and our democracy. If we look at the population of the United States, we need active participation from 11 million people. And I, on my own, And no organization on their own in this country right now has the capacity to actively organize and engage 11 million people. And so I've been thinking about a sort of body of work and a model that we piloted last election cycle that basically just takes advantage of the wisdom that we all know to be true, which is that none of us actually take advice from strangers. All of us actually take advice or seek 
seek relationships or seek information from people that we know and care about. I asked my son, who's 11, about this yesterday. I was like, who, is, who do you think is the person who you would go to if you really wanted to get some advice? And he told me, well, Uncle Darren. So he said he would go to my brother if he had something that he needed to figure out. And I said, if Uncle Darren asked you to do something really big, would you do it? And he was like, well, absolutely. I really trust Darren and I would do it if he asked me to do it. So I've been thinking about... How do we activate 11 million people? And one way that we could break this down is that we collectively work with networks all across the country and organizers all across the country to invite 456,000 Americans to personally activate 25 people that they're in relationship with. If 456,000 Americans activated just 25 people, then we could get the active participation of 11 million Americans. That's the threshold we need to radically change the future of democracy in this country. I love the math. That is excellent. (laughs) And I love, you know, when you break it down like that, it's really powerful. It's like, you know, getting like your huge organizing committee (laughs) together. If each person has their base of 25 people, it's so doable when you frame it that way. It really is. Yeah. But we have to see our relationships as precious and people as precious. And we have to uh, actually do everything around, especially around electoral work. It has to be completely different than the way campaigns are run. Because campaigns are run today around like this targeting that gets to the smallest number of people to get to 50 plus one. And that's never going to change our democracy. But this is like opening it up and it's thinking about how do we actually invite as many people as we can imagine into a collective vision. Yeah. It makes me think of, um, I think it's in the Tao. It was something like the Tao gives birth to one, one gives birth to two two gives birth to three, three gives birth to all things. Hmm. I don't know if you read Marshall Gant's piece in The Nation, but one of the things that Marshall was talking about, and I felt like he was speaking directly to those of us who see ourselves as part of a resistance right now, is that um, mobilizing the people who already agree with us right now isn't enough. And just being against something or being in resistance isn't enough, that we actually have to think about building something that we're for and thinking about what it would take to actually be authors of our own democracy, to build abundant lives, because being against something isn't going to be enough. No, I 100% agree with that. I 100% agree. I think without a vision, the people will perish without a compelling and constructive vision, it's really impossible to achieve anything. I mean, that's why I loved, I studied a lot of Gandhi. Gandhi was so interesting because of his emphasis on constructive program and what are the things that we are building um, that bring us to where we want to be. So finally, would you like to end with a with a prayer or an affirmation or an intention that calls forth what you hope to give birth to and with yes i would love to you are more powerful than you realize 
Take time to imagine your own liberation. Be in relationship. Invite others to be a part of crafting and living a vision for collective liberation. Be kind to yourself and treat everyone as precious. And together, we can birth abundant lives. Amen. Thank you, Christy. Yeah, thanks for this opportunity. I've really enjoyed chatting. Oh, great. (laughs) I'm so glad. Thanks for listening to Everyday Changemakers. If you liked this episode, please take some time to share it with your friends and colleagues. It really helps when you spread the word. And if you have a minute to rate and review the show in iTunes, that would be great. Remember, the journaling guide, Midwife to Your Dreams, is available for you at kamararose.com resources. So go check it out. Everyday Changemakers is a production of yours truly in collaboration with markmedia.org.